Blog Talk Radio. Choices, decisions, frustrations, and pain. Knowing I'm going to forget her someday. While I still can, I'll challenge all my loved ones, every friend, to look inside their hearts and understand that I. Website. If you haven't visited us um, at www.alzheimerspeaks.com, please do so. There you will find a lot of uh, variety of information. Um, you see, Alzheimer Speaks is an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. And we believe that by joining forces and sharing knowledge and having everyday conversations like we're going to have today about life with dementia, that we're going to be able to remove the stigmas attached to memory loss and help those living with the disease live with purpose. Together, I know we can make a difference and we can educate ourselves by learning more. So many out there are filled with knowledge and don't even know it um, because they're feeling overwhelmed and they see the road ahead of them, but yet there's always somebody behind them as well. And so it's so important for us to share knowledge. And I would really appreciate it if you haven't liked our um our radio page, but also go to Facebook and um, our Twitter pages and like those as well. It's um, it's a it's an easy way then to be able to share the information we're putting out. I think you'd be shocked at how many times you share information uh, with a circle of friends about dementia, and then all of a sudden you find out someone you are very close to is dealing with it and you didn't know. Um, people tell me that all the time um, when I go out and speak. I'll, I'll raise that question, and people are amazed that, you know, typically about 98 to almost 100% of the group has been touched by dementia. This is a conversation we're not comfortable having, and that needs to change. And we've got a brilliant, brilliant uh, influencer um, in the world of dementia with us today, and I will introduce her shortly. Um, We also would love to invite you on the radio show to be part of the conversation. And you can do that in two ways. You can use your chat box. Um, to go ahead and write a comment in if you're if you're listening by your computer, or you can call in, and that number is seven one four three six four four seven five seven. Again, that's seven one four three six four four seven five seven. 
Now, before I introduce our wonderful guest today, I do want to just highlight a few different um, resources for you. People are always asking, how do I find the Alzheimer's Association closest to me? And what I recommend, since we've got a global audience, is um, go to Alzheimer's Disease International. They are the organization of all the Alzheimer's Associations around the world. There you'll not only find information as to who's close to you, but you're going to find insights and information and research on global issues. Um, it's just a, a wonderful, wonderful um, a site. Um, and so again, that's called Alzheimer's Disease International, or they go by ADI. The Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation is also a wonderful um, tool that you can tap into. They focus more on holistic um, approaches. So uh, food and diet, exercise, meditations, and they have been around for over 20 years. So go check out Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation as well. And today we're going to be speaking um, particularly on Lewy Body. And they have their own association, which is a great force because, again, it understands the specifics of the disease. Some of the other um, diseases in the dementia umbrella are frontal temporal lobe along with Alzheimer's, um, and they each have, again, their own associations. The National Aphasia Association um, is a great tool, too, when people are having a difficult time speaking. And then on kind of the recreational side, um, we've got Music First with Choral Health, and music is so powerful. It's something most of us incorporate into our days, and we shouldn't um, let that go by the wayside when someone has dementia as well. And Music First, actually, they kind of do prescriptions for music, so they can help people um, change their moods. They can help them relax and go to sleep, uh, wake up, eat, um, all kinds of different things. So check out Music First with Coral Health. They also have an app. Puzzle With Me is um, a great puzzle that is designed for adults with dementia. Um, bigger pieces, fewer pieces, and more age-appropriate pictures. Uh, Jiminy Wicket is a wonderful um, social engagement um, activity. It's croquet that can be played by families intergenerationally or uh, they go also go out to the schools and introduce dementia to the students and then can match them up with um, a memory care unit where they can go ahead and, and play croquet. So it's pretty it's a pretty fascinating thing. So again, if you if you have time to just you know click that button and like us, I would appreciate you doing that. Um, again, your efforts have made a big impact because we were um, we were named the number one influencer online for Alzheimer's by ShareCare and Dr. Oz. And we did not do that alone. That is from all of you um, spreading the word. So, again, I thank you very, very much for doing that, and, and I hope for your continued support in that as well. 
So let me go ahead and introduce our our first guest here. Um, Jane Sweeney is, uh, you're just going to adore her. Um, I, I just recently got to know her, and she is just a wonderful, wonderful uh, individual. And she has written a book, um, Caregiving, My Love Story, and it's all about facing dementia. And she um, she tells of this love story between herself and Bernie. Um, two, she says, two hearts united by God. The man um, he was and the woman who loved him cared for him until the end. Um, she is going to talk about, you know, what it was like to get that diagnosis, you know, the shock and the disbelief and, and the pain. But what I love so much about her book is that it is a beautifully written, but it's it's not only heartbreaking, but more so it's heartwarming. And it truly is an inspirational guide to all caregivers, teaching them that you are never alone, and always choose love and happiness over fear, which is a, a pretty heavy and big lesson that we should we should live by in our life as as a whole. She was also named uh, Woman of the Year in 20, uh, 2013. So let me get Jane on the line here. Hi, Jane. How are you today? I'm wonderful, and thank you for having me as your guest. I'm looking forward to your audience hearing what my love story was because I love my husband and I want to help people care. Oh, well that's that's wonderful. You you have written uh you know an absolutely fantastic book and um my mom would love it cuz the, the cover is red and that was this is kind of her fire engine red color. So so my mom would have, <laughs> would have grabbed your book off the shelf in 2 seconds. Um, now, can you tell us a little bit about, um, uh, why don't we start with the diagnosis, um, a, a, a little bit about Bernie. What exactly was he diagnosed with and, and when? It, first of all, it was a long time in coming to get a diagnosis, and it was Ju- uh, June 18, 2009, when I ran to the phone to call his internist of 21 years to get Bernie to the doctor because he showed marked signs of suspicions that had been going on for many years. And that morning when I went downstairs to have a cup of coffee, he told me that I wasn't home last night. And I said, what? He said, I don't know where you were, but you didn't come home which is part of spousal infidelity syndrome that sometimes rears its head with Louis mm-hmm. bodies. So I got him to the internist, his very dear friend, and he gave him the MMSE, which is the Mini Mental Status Exam, or sometimes it's called the Mini Mini State Exam, as to where Bernie was. And Bernie thought he had performed beautifully, and of course the doctor said he had Alzheimer's which was only part of the story, and it would take three diagnoses before I finally got it correct. Okay, and that's one of the most frustrating things that people say over and over is how long it takes to get a diagnosis. 
when it comes to dementia. It's such a tricky disease, and it overlaps so many different things. And and so many of the doctors just aren't educated. Um, so it's so important getting to the right the right people, you know, getting that referral. And and, and I think, um, you know, and this is just my view, I'll see if you agree, but I, I think people aren't used to being advocates for themselves with the doctors, especially like with my folks. They just thought whatever the doctor said was, was God and they never questioned and it was like no we need to question we because we're not getting we're not getting answers here that are making sense you know or, or solving our problem and i think people really have to learn to be an advocate and and push for those referrals to the right the right people um do you see you're that in, in your work yes you're absolutely right uh, fortunately i have two doctors in my family and my youngest daughter is a pediatric nurse at Johns Hopkins for 18 years now. And we were not novices to medical situations, but the problem was that I think that doctors are as good as their training and their experience, and we have many fabulous doctors. But because the information is recent as far as medical studies, many of the wonderful internists and geriatricians and specialists are not up on Lewy body dementia. And one of my missions is to not only educate them and to speak to medical students and to nursing students, and I have invitations that are standing and we're formulating what I call a curriculum enhancement program to have the, the medical students be aware of Lewy body dementia and all the dementias that there are over 50 kinds of dementia. And we need to understand how to care, especially for the people with Lewy bodies, because it could be as much as 20 to 25% of all dementia. It's under the Parkinson's syndrome, but there is no medicine or cure for it. Yeah, and you had said you had heard 50 types of dementia. I've heard 70 to 120, and I've heard that from different doctors. I don't think they really know, um, because then there's, there's sub-dementias you know, um, within different categories, too, because it's, it really is such a, a baby disease. There's so little known about it compared to what we need to know on this. But, you know, if, it, if it's 50 or 120, it doesn't make any difference. It's an awful lot. Um, and we can see how confusing that can be. And I think people have to correlate it to cancer. You know, you don't go to a skin cancer doctor if you've got lung cancer. And um, but the specialties haven't developed in a fast enough pace, in my opinion, um, with this disease and in the numbers that we need. Um, so I'm hoping that that's something that the medical schools are really going to start pushing um, people in specific directions because I, I think it's needed. Um, you know, because these diseases, even though they fall under the same umbrella. Um, they can have very different symptoms and um, can be very, very confusing um, to not only the person diagnosed, but um, their loved ones and coworkers and neighbors and friends with that. Absolutely, absolutely right. And I wanted to say something about the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. if, if people keep probing and keep reading and broadening their knowledge, which you mentioned earlier, they will feel not only empowered, 
but they will have many more resources to help others. And when we got the diagnosis, we knew it was ours. We owned it. It was a challenge, not because we owned it, but what was Mm -hmm. unnerving was that it would write its own end. But Mm -hmm. to be empowered, gain knowledge, and to be able to care for our loved one. And that's the hope. And that's why I want to change the culture of caregiving. We know we're going to have an escalation of the number of cases of dementia. Instead of being depressed or instead of feeling hopeless, we need to know how to care and make it a mission to learn as much as we can to love the person. Mm-hmm. And that's true. I, and I, again, I really think this disease is here to teach us to get back to basics um, in terms of why do we exist? You know, we're, we're not here for money and things and status. Uh, you know, I think we're here to, to learn how to interact and really develop close relationships. And, and we've lost our, our sense of community on a lot of levels. And this disease is going to force that back because one person can't do it alone, nor should they. And um, so I, I kind of try to frame it in a positive um, light in terms of, you know, why is this disease even here? And um, because I think it's, it's here to teach us something, uh, and I think it's here to teach us some pretty big, pretty big lessons. You know, all well all. stated, well stated, and you learned that from caring for your mother for so many years. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Can you tell? Can you tell uh, people a little bit about what's you know what's it like to have Lewy body dementia versus a, a regular Alzheimer's? What 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 did you see? You know, were some of the differences, and why is it important to know that? Okay, the differences were very marked. Sometimes the rampart suspicions can't coming in the night, coming in the daytime, and repeated suspicions, whether it was car keys, whether it was someone stealing the checkbook, someone stealing money, the tremendous paranoia escalates. It's like a wave. It comes and goes, and you can never anticipate it. You never know what's going to happen. One of the first things that shows its head is hallucinations and delusions. Now, Ernie would speak of things that were not there. And when you go into hallucinations, you know it becomes part of the psychiatric part of the brain. He never knew what hit him. He was never aware that he was saying these things and therefore could not recall or could not discuss in a rational cognitive way. In the middle of the night, he would wake me quickly and say, get them, get them. They're on the the wall. And I said, are they fighters? And he said, yes. And I said, I hate black. And they would disappear. The hallucination Mm -hmm. of our granddaughter walking in the kitchen that I almost bumped into, and he held me back, and there was nothing there. And so I would guess that she was in a yellow dress. And he said, no, she's in a blue dress. And I would say, I love blue. It's her Christmas dress. She's so beautiful. And then the hallucination would go. Also, they become very suspicious about people stealing from them. And Bernie ended up going to 
bed with three wallets in his golf shorts toward the end. It's the brain that is being destroyed on the end of the neurons, the synapses that causes this type of thinking. It had nothing to do with his intelligence. It had nothing to do with his kindness and his love. It all happens in the brain, and he knew nothing of this. Wow, that's making it. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. It makes it even more important for the caregiver not to be upset by these hallucinations. And in Louis body bodies, they think of it often as a, uh, a, a hallucination in color, or with children or animals. Most of the time, they're dis- they're not disturbing to the person. If you can get to the hallucination by guessing something or diverting using distraction. One time Bernie was talking about, in the middle of the night again, about the people in the kitchen. And I guessed that they were all six foot tall or if they were black and white. And he said, no, they're in red. I said, oh, that's the most beautiful color. And the hallucination was gone. It's amazing. And and it not was never frightening to me. Mm-hmm. And it was never something that I wasn't able to pull him out of by learning the major technique of going to the, his hallucination. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to say that um, eight to ten years before we had Bernie diagnosed the first time in '09, he began to do certain things cognitively with his thinking and his organization and his executive function and his tracking expenditures that were strange. And I knew something was going on in his mind that he was not aware of. We would have a conversation about planning, going to dinner the next night. The next day came, he never recalled it. And he wasn't Mm -hmm. playing games with me. As I said to a friend of mine recently, it's like a player piano where it's miss, it's be- making beautiful music, and then all of a sudden it goes, rrr, rrr, rrr. the mind is disconnecting, and the person is not playing games. They simply are unable to make these rational connections and to link information. One of the greatest things I've found is that you cannot ask them two or three things in a row, like go to the dresser drawer and get the yellow socks out and get your tennis shoes. You can't mm-hmm. do that because they can't cognitively put these together. I couldn't say to Bernie, get channel 27 on the television or 423. He simply couldn't make those connections. And by knowing that, I was able to tune in the TV show. I was able to do many things that would help him. And this went on for eight to ten years. Okay. So did your did your patients ever wear thin in this role? I would imagine there's got to be some times where it it took its toll on you. I would think that that would just be normal. Yes. yes. <laughs> I, <laughs> I pray daily for patients. And sometimes I, I, I talk about the alphabet soup of caregiving in one of my speeches for um uh, Manor Care, who's hired me to speak for them nationally at their facilities. It's HCR out of Cleveland. And I talk about the alphabet soup, distractions, <laughs> dangers, 
and do-overs. I had to distract Bernie constantly by putting in front of him golf magazines or playing music, sometimes at 6.30 in the morning. And that's what gave me more empowerment, and it gave me more patience. Because I knew that if I lost my patience, he would react hurt. He would Uh react as if I were questioning his love and his gentleness, which would get you nowhere and would fuel the situation because he was never doing any of this willfully. And that's what gave me a lot of sustenance. It gave me a lot of important solitude that I could gather myself. And you mentioned earlier about why we're here. And Mm -hmm. I, I know that our Lord wanted me to develop a great deal of patience. And this is what it takes, as you well know, Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes I wanted to scream and I would turn the shower on <laughs> at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and I would just scream or I was in the car doing errands and I would rehearse how I was going to get control of my emotions because he didn't do this on purpose. <laughs> yeah, I would scream in the car sometimes when no one was around me because I didn't want anyone to see me or hear me, you know. But I and um, you know, but I think it's I think it's you know here, again here to teach us tolerance and um, and, it, and it really is can be in your face, but it, to how to be loving and accept that you know they're not doing this to bug you. It's not on purpose, um, and that we you know we all deserve to be respected and understood and appreciated and loved. And, you know, in the world we live in, we, we've gotten so busy and so fast-paced that we we forget to slow down and just be loving. And that's so sad. That's just, to me, so extremely sad. And, you know, and, I, and I'm one of them. I mean, I, I, it took me a while to to learn to slow down and pay attention and appreciate the little stuff and to push the the status and the the money and the um the stuff aside because that really you know that didn't warm my heart at all and you know when you when you lose someone or something or you know a part of something you know that's when we kind of figure it out of what's important in our life and I, why we don't teach this at a young age um, but instead we push them down a different path you know it's it's sad to me you're you're absolutely right <clears throat> and one thing that i noticed on the uh, <clears throat> trail of dementia is that many people think back to their grandparents or their favorite aunt or their favorite uncle who was so kind to them who mm-hmm. took the time to to take them to the ball game or to take them to a movie. And they relish this quiet, beautiful time of sharing. And that's what's available to everyone who's a caregiver. If they will reorient themselves to caring, it's so important. Now, I have a deep faith, Laurie, and without my faith, I don't think that... uh, Myself, my family would have learned what God was trying to put before us. And mm-hmm. when I when I had the uh, graphic artist do 
my book cover. The red is a door that's open, and the message is there's no handle. Come in. We can help you care give. We know how to care give. And my book is filled with resources from the Internet and books that will help in learning and in making us more patient. On the front of the book, I have a door knocker that I've copyrighted. It's a gold wedding ring with the human heart sitting, resting inside. And the message is, love is the only thing that we carry beyond this physical world. It's the only thing that matters. And in Mm. the whole circle of gold, God has given us all human nature. And it is by staying connected and by loving each other as a community and helping each other through the illnesses and also being there for the happy times. When Bernie, when Bernie was on this journey, we had many, many happy times. We laughed, we loved the whole time. And even in his placement, where he had a psychosis and he went after me, and the doctor said, if he touches you, you can't take him home. And even then, he had nine months at a care facility, and we laughed and we dressed him in his golf attire with beautiful vests because he was losing so much weight. And he always had a joy about him and a humor. In fact, one cute story was he kept wanting to marry me when he was in the <laughs> facility, and he was so effusive in his gentle love and tenderness and kissing. So I had the doors, the lock switch from the bathroom to the main door of his room because I thought people would walk in on us. And he loved that when I would tease in that way. So after about two weeks, he kept saying, I have to marry you. I have to marry you. I'm so in love with you. Oh. <laughs> he was so sweet. And then one day he said, what are we going to do about your husband? It was so sweet and so gentle. So the point is we had many, many years of happiness and joy and laughter because we loved and because I wanted every day to be present to Bernie. Mm -hmm. And I elicited from him the happiness and the humor and the joy. And I did that with deep prayer, solitude, and asking God every day for his mercy and guidance. Because I did not know where this would take us. And what happened, if I look back now, I have no regrets. I have beautiful memories. And because in this whole ring of gold we're all mortal, it made me address earlier rather than later the purpose of our lives. And what I'm trying to say about caregiving, it can be absolutely beautiful and wonderful and life-giving. One person told me that her husband had been a big executive and that she had rarely had tender time with him and that when he got Alzheimer's, it gave her that time. And that was a gift that her husband gave her because they had many days of gentleness and time. And every caregiver can claim that, Laurie. 
I, I think that's really them. true. I, they have to look for it, though. They have to know that it's still there. They have to believe uh, and have faith in their relationships. And I think so many times we get so overburdened with the tasks at hand that we forget um, that that you still have a core of a relationship. Um, we've got a question here. <clears throat> um, let's your comment here. He's written, I hear people, <clears throat> excuse me, I hear people that got diagnosed with Lewy bodies um, and others say that they were diagnosed with dementias with Lewy body, which leads me to believe Lewy bodies could be a virus. Are they the same or different? Okay. Uh, let me answer it this way. The jury is still out on all the ramifications of Lewy body. But we know from Dr. Dennis Dixon, who spoke two years at my husband's Mind Brain Symposium at Florida Gulf Coast University, which is held in the second week of March, we know that the researchers are certain it is part of the Parkinson's syndrome. There are like MS and ALS and progressive supranuclear palsy. They're all part of Parkinson's. Most dementias are part of Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. But Lewy bodies is. Now, there is something completely separate, which is a dementia that follows in the latter stages of Parkinson's that is not Lewy body. But many times people will have a mixed dementia, and in Bernie's case, he had Alzheimer's and Lewy bodies. They sometimes, they, they project, from what we know, 25% of the time they could be overlapping. Mm-hmm. I hope. So what I'm trying to say is that the researchers still don't know everything about dementia and about Lewy bodies. But what we do know is very powerful. And the website... LBDA.org is the Lewy Body Dementia Association organization in Georgia. It is phenomenal. It's like sitting in front of Encyclopedia Britannica. It's like clicking on multiple books and references. Now, they have nine doctors on a scientific council that vet everything that goes on their website. And the interesting thing is that the more you go there, the more you learn about the support care groups for Lewy bodies, the case stories and the case histories of people who discovered that their loved one had two or three dementias in addition to Lewy bodies. And the website is packed with constructive guidelines and helpful suggestions because we want to live our life with joy and love and happiness. It might be kidney disease or it might be a heart attack, but this happens to be dementia, and it's nothing to be afraid of. When I used to counsel some people, I used to say, if it bothers you, think that it's a bowl of jello and that you're going to put whipped cream on it. Whatever mm-hmm. you want to do to lighten the fact that because you get a diagnosis, it means many things to many people, but it doesn't have to be the end. It can just be a beginning. Now, I want to say something about the Lewy Body Dementia Association. 
uh, one of the doctors, besides Dr. Dennis Dixon, on the Scientific Council is Dr. Ian McKees. Now, he is, quote, Mr. Lewy Bodies in Europe, in, in England specifically. Now, he is, on, uh, he is an international collaborator with Mensa Cura, which is an organization in Iceland. Mensa Cura is Latin for Cure the Mind. It's an organization that's been in existence for many years. And they are coming up, they have actually, an EEG biomarker for early detection, differential diagnosis, and the management of CNS disorders. Now, this is so critical, and they're trying to bring it over here and worldwide to many of the research organizations. And they believe that they have a way of using EEGs, which are brain, the, the brain waves, to determine an early diagnosis for dementia, and in particular, Lewy bodies. Well, that'll be that'll be wonderful. I know um, sixty minutes just had um, a episode on probably a month ago that was where they had followed a community and they were pretty shocked at the results, you know, because they did the brain autopsies at the end. And what they found was that some people with plaques and tangles had no signs of dementia, and others that were diagnosed with dementia. Um, or how did wait? I'm going to say that wrong. People who were diagnosed with dementia had no plaques and tangles in some cases, and others um, did not have um, did not have. Uh, it was just opposite. I can't think of what I'm trying to say here, um, but. And so the ones that didn't have um, any signs also had plaques and tangles, so it was kind of backwards. And so it it, it makes me wonder how much, you know, because there's so much um, talk about plaques and tangles, you know, for for dementia, and is that really accurate or not? Um, and from what they found, um, not so much. It made them kind of question, um, is is that an accurate telltale sign or not well that's excellent that you raised that point laurie i've attended a number of conferences and some of the most brilliant scientists are still trying to uncover what are some of the causes mm-hmm. they do know that uh and this is a recent um diagnosis from a friend of mine who was an mit graduate and a husband of a dear friend who went to nih and after giving being given two separate diagnoses. He went there for extensive testing, and they found no amyloid plaques. Mm-hmm. So that what the conclusion was that he had Lewy bodies but did not have Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And, and what I'm trying to say is that the jury is still out with the scientists. They're working very hard all over the world. They're collaborating because they know that this, question of dementia, some call it an avalanche, some call it the silver tsunami, but what they do know is so little of what they're going to know. And my point for caregiving is that it's it's a, a major problem in health care and to diagnose it correctly. But once you know the parameters, you can help. 
Mm-hmm. In other words, we we think back to AIDS in the early, in the eighties where we were all very upset, very frightened when this horrific affliction came on, and they poured millions of dollars, billions into the research, and they've been able to come so far forward that babies today, my daughter tells me, are born without AIDS, though the mother had AIDS, which is a remarkable progression. And yep, we hope that's huge. that that but we, we understand that there are many diseases that have taken years and the scientists really do not know the causes. They know that there are indicators, like you said, when they do autopsies. But there may be something that a new scientist comes up with that will lead us completely in a new path. The question is, dementia is here to stay for a long time. And how we approach it and how we learn the tools of the trade to make living with it a most beautiful experience rather than a death sentence. It's how we live life that I the reason mm-hmm. I wrote my book. It's that when when you love someone and they're going to die on you, what are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. We all have a choice. And the beautiful choice is that we can get all the support we need through knowledge and learning. Now, I have a couple of stories in my book that are very humorous because Bernie was brilliant. He worked at the World Bank in Washington for 18 years, and he graduated top of his class at the Ben Franklin Accounting School in 1949. He was so humorous, 100% Irish, and he was so gifted with humor that I wanted to, in his memory, talk about how he lived life and how he affected the people around him with love and joy for his Jesus, his Christ, for his for his fellow man. And I wanted to, to tell you about the picnic blanket, which was part of the Irish humor. When the diagnosis comes down or your suspicions, which have probably been around for a long time, that someone's playing games with you or someone is not doing what they were normally supposed to do, that you can broaden your support. Tell your neighbors. Tell your close friends. My husband was furious when I told the doctor some of the things that were going on. That's because he didn't realize, and no one with blue bodies realizes, the full extent of their loss. Mm-hmm. Now, some people with some people with dementia, Alzheimer's type of dementia, do realize that they're forgetting. And that's what we call a very painful realization. And that may take a different type, a different approach to caregiving when the person knows that they have a dementia. And there's also a third category we, uh, up at the Berg Institute at the University of South Florida where they have three floors. One complete diagnostic floor is for Parkinson's. The middle floor is for the, diagnostic, uh, for the diagnosis for Alzheimer's. And the first floor is for the treatment of people 
and care groups who have already been diagnosed. But they have seven different disciplines in the medical field to diagnose a person completely with what is going on. And they have a third category called a worried well. These are the people who suspect that they don't have at their beck and call the amount of information they used to have. Their recall is dwaning, their forgetfulness, and they're very worried that they have Alzheimer's, perhaps because of the family history or because they feel like losing it. Mm-hmm. But I want people to talk about, I want to go back to the picnic blanket. On the lower corner, on the right lower corner, you put all your friends and your neighbors. On the upper right corner, you put your church friends, your book club friends, your bridge group. Any of the clubs or organizations you belong to, the Knights of Columbus, the Elks, the Rotary Club, you include them because this is a long road, and you're going to need their help. And believe you me, people will be very compassionate, very understanding and loving. In the upper left-hand corner, you invite all of your family. This is an opportunity for many relationships to be reconciled. I said to one man when he said, oh, no, they couldn't invite their five children. That wasn't the way it was going to work. And I said to him, you know, you really love your family, and this is their mother. Don't put yourself as a jury and a judge. Invite the children to address their mother and to live the remaining years with love and compassion and gentleness toward the mother or to address things that they may harbor in their heart. Allow them the time that they have to love their mother. And he said the next time the two of them are going to fly in and help. Always invite the family and try never to make judgments. Maybe the son had very good reasons for not speaking to his father. But now that his father's been diagnosed, they need that time. Just allow them to come into the picture and just keep allowing. And that goes for friends. And it goes Mm -hmm. for brothers and sisters. It's so beautiful, the transformation. And you will help both, not only the person with dementia, achieve a peace, but the, the family members. In the lower corner, I want you to put on that picnic blanket, which is very wide now for your support as a caregiver, I want you to put the people in the doctor's office that are so compassionate the doctors who are so understanding and caring. I want you to put there the people in the grocery store and the people in your support groups. Please find some support groups. They do it for heart transplant. They do it for, they they gather for kidney transplants, for brain surgeries. Please find a support group and try two or three. So the picnic blanket is very wide and anchored. And then as the author of this story, I say I take away the word picnic because nothing in this is a picnic. Yep. Yep. 
Um, Harry just made a, a comment here in the chat box saying the National Institute on Aging has a free publication called Lewy Body Dementia for um, Patients, Families, and Professionals, which he said is just wonderful. And you can receive a free copy. He's got their link in the um, <clears throat> in the box here, which is nia.nih.gov forward slash Alzheimer's um, or 800-438-4380. That's 800-438-4380. Thank you for for uh, sending that in, Harry. <clears throat> I appreciate appreciate Harry, thank you. Um, I, I am so thrilled with this publication. This was one of the most succinct and well-researched Publications. There's a. There's a. Uh, not only the the National Institutes of Aging, which is the number and the link that you just gave, Harry, but the National Institutes of Neurological Disorders and Strokes co-authored this. And there's another number, one eight hundred three five two nine four two four, one eight hundred three five two nine four two four, and the publication is free. It's um, about forty pages. One of the consultant on that was Angela Taylor, who is the administrator, director of programs for the Lewy Body Dementia Association. And um, it's, there, there were uh, four other acknowledgments by the two uh, national institutes, and Lisa Snyder and Christina Giolotti, University of California in San Diego. Now, the thing about this booklet is that organizations can request up to 50 copies and NIH will send them at no cost. And each individual can get a copy at no cost. You can also order this through lbda.org. Now, the thing about um, Louis Body Dementia Association is uh, I want to mention a friend of Harry's, Gary Joseph LeBlanc who has been writing a column in a newspaper in north of Tampa in Florida. He cared for his father for five years, and I know that he's a very, and he has four books on dementia, and I know that Harry is a very dear friend of his. Thank you very much, Gary. Bye. Yeah, Gary Gary does a great job. In fact, they are, uh, and Harry's going to be part of this too, but they are going to be rolling out on June 1st, uh, Dementia Mentors. And we're actually going to do our next show. Next Tuesday we'll be talking about Dementia Mentors. So that's pretty pretty exciting um, that that group will be rolling out and, and the information that um, they'll be able to share. To, to have a mentor who actually has dementia I think is going to be fabulous and will really help alleviate some of the fear and, and the stress um, by developing some of those supports there. Can you tell us, um, you know, how did getting the diagnosis affect you personally as a caregiver? It gave me a great deal of peace. It made me realize that there was something that I could do to help Bernie. It gave me encouragement that life was beginning in a new way. And you can 
project to many things that I still had, Bernie. And I asked the Lord to help me each day care for him one more day and to guide me and to let me live long enough to care for him. It gave me strength because I knew that love would be the difference. And I knew that my choice was to be there and be connected at all times. And not only did I learn volumes of information, I was able to be there and be a better human being. And now I have a whole new facet of my life, the last third of my life, that I can live and help people. And that for some sole reason, God gave me this beautiful husband to love and enjoy and laugh with, a most beautiful life, and that now I could give back in a special way. And I want to mention Eden Alternatives. That's E-D-E-N, Alternatives. I went to a conference in Nashville about a month ago Dr. Bill Thomas and Jude Thomas have tried to change the culture of how we care for people in the last third of their life. And it's a beautiful concept of care partners. And what is so exciting is that we live, the way we live, is a measurement of our joy and our happiness and at the end of our life, we can look back with happiness and joy that is really beyond measure because we have loved. Very true. Yeah, I, I think that that's a really nice perspective. The way the way you are are going after this whole thing. Um, Harry says, "Bless you, James. You you inspire all of us." So yeah, it's. You really have a nice um, a nice way at looking at this. Did were you like that from the beginning of the diagnosis, or did it take you a while? I know for me, it took me a while to arrive um, and to be able to re, really reframe things. And I think I, I reframed them probably personally quietly, um, but didn't really talk about it publicly. The changes. Um, but now they're just so evident to me. <laughs> it's just like, wow. <laughs> well, you, you're, I love your word, reframe, mm-hmm. because it's a strong word. It gives you motivation. Um, the mind is very interesting. There are words that cause us to, be, to give in and be mm-hmm. hopeless. And reframe says, I have a choice. And you know, Laurie, the first the first time I knew Bernie was having real trouble cognitively, I cried and I cried and I cried. Not only was the life that we had together slipping from us, I did not want to lose my husband. I wanted to love and live every day in a happiness and all the wonderful things that life has to offer whether it's walking or playing golf or going out to dinner, I wanted all the joy and happiness. And that was slipping away 
and no one could control it. And Mm -hmm. I cried many, many nights because I love the intimacy with my husband. And sex and dementia is a huge umbrella. It's Mm -hmm. something that we need to talk about. We need to talk about when a man and a woman love each other and they have to have that taken from them gradually. It's a very sad, long road, but you can make it on the other side in gratitude. And I found that every time I was crying my eyes out because I was losing this beautiful man to a disease, that it was in gratitude that I found strength and more patience, as you mentioned earlier. It's something you acquire. And a lot of times I just had to say, Lord, you're going to have to take this because I can't handle this part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's um, the gratitude piece is huge. I, I think the 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 sex piece too is something that that we don't talk about. You know, it's people are embarrassed by it, and and they shouldn't be. And there's you know so many different ways to be sexual too. Um, at, you know, it, just in in just touch. You know, we all like to be touched, and and there shouldn't be embarrassment, and we should make room for that. And we, you know, we need to have more conversations so that people feel comfortable um, addressing that as well. Laurie, <laughs> Laurie, touch. Uh huh. It's it's one of our five senses, and it is mm-hmm. the one thing that lovers always experience to nth degree and they can't touch each other enough they can't hold hands enough they can't hug enough when you're falling in love and it's the touch that carries the people the relationship through dementia Mm -hmm. it's it's the gentle touch that is a lifeline and oftentimes in advanced stages, people may not be able to have their mind work, but they understand the gentle touch, the caress, knowing that they're connecting in this relationship that has been so important in their whole life. And they're continuing to build on that. I must tell you, <laughs> I wrote this chapter, Sex and Dementia, Sensitivity and Sensuality, for a specific reason. I have a cute story in there about Viagra, and I talked to one of Marie's golf buddies, and he said, why don't you just put the chapter that? And I said, because I'm a lady, and that's a lot in your face. But I will Uh put the story in the chapter, and he loved it. Uh, It was something that's so sweet. And I said, it's probably because when you mention the word Viagra, men get a big smile on their face, and so do the women. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, too funny. Too funny. Well, I I think that that's great. Um, uh, Can we continue this conversation? I need to kind of do our mid-program highlights, and then I've got a a second guest, which will be with us for just about 10 minutes. But I would would love to continue this conversation if you still have time, Jane. I do. I'll hold on. 
Okay, sounds good. I will put you on hold to our mid-program highlights, um, and then we'll introduce our next guest, and we'll, we'll, we will come back and talk more with Jane Sweeney. Um, you need to get her book. It's called Caregiving My Love Story, Facing Dementia, and it's just, uh, you'll find it very heartwarming and inspiring. So let me get get on here with the uh with our mid-program highlights, um, I just if if you're not familiar with our um, our radio show, all of our shows are archived. And our last show was on students in dementia and the need for more students to get trained um, in this industry. And we had actually our intern Michelle uh, Remold with us, and she just did a great job along with her professor, Dr. Elaine Eshbaugh. Uh, with the University of Northern uh, Iowa. And then on the second half of the show, we had a certified recreational uh, therapeutic specialist, uh, Marla Kurtz, um, who just is doing some really neat, neat work in that industry with people at home, um, helping them with, with rec therapy. Our next session, next Tuesday, will be with the Dementia Chats uh, founding members, and I'm really excited about that, so I really hope you can join us for that show. Um, Dementia Mentors is going to be exactly what it says, people with dementia mentoring others who uh, get newly diagnosed. Our last Dementia Chats... um, is recorded along with the others, but we have our new Dementia Chats uh, today, and that'll be at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, 1 if you're Mountain Time, and noon Pacific Time. We'd love for you to join us. I will be putting information out on the blog regarding that shortly uh, after this show, and um, or you can always go to alzheimerspeaks.com and to uh, the About page, click on Dementia Chats, and it'll say how to enter. Those, again, are all free and are recorded. Some of our blogs that I just want to highlight this last week, um, we had the salute to those who served. Um, Building a Better Brain, How to Keep Your Brain Active and Prevent Memory Loss. Um, There was information on Memorial Day and uh, Forget-Me-Nots, both by Michelle, again, our intern. She just does such such a nice job. And again, if you are looking for an Alzheimer's Association anywhere in the world, check out Alzheimer's Disease International. Um, If you are looking for a more holistic approach, you may want to check out Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. Don't forget about the Purple Angel Program, too. You can find out information on our About page. Uh, regarding that, I would be glad to help you get up and running with that. And, uh, of course, the Lewy Body Association, uh, the Frontal Temporal Lobe uh, Association, and then the National Aphasia Association all have specifics that can help you. If you're looking for a trial, you can go to alzheimersstudies.com or the Alzheimer's team. And don't forget about... Um, 
keeping engaged. Music First with Choral Health does a great job utilizing music to help us stay stay in touch with one another. So let me go ahead and introduce our second guest here. We are lucky to have Dr. Uh, Shubin with us, and he is a certified neurologist specializing in movement and sleep disorders as well as degenerative disorders like Alzheimer's disease and multiple sclerosis. He was named in L.A. West uh, Magazine the best physician in Los Angeles, And he also is a clinical professor for the Department of Neurology at USC and sees patients in his uh, uh, practices in California. Dr. Shubin is also active in research, and that's really what he's going to talk to us today about. He is the director and principal investigator of Neurotherapeutics, Inc., and he continues to provide opportunities to his patients to be involved in cutting-edge research um, in neurology. Currently, he's involved with a Phase three clinical study of LMTX, um, and that is for uh, patients with early Alzheimer's. And we'll let him talk a little bit more about <clears throat> exactly what that all uh, includes. So, Dr. Sherwin, uh, welcome to the show. How are you today? Good morning. Thank you very much for that generous introduction. I'm feeling well this morning. Uh, thank you for having me. Well, I'm thrilled to have you on on with us. Um, can you give us briefly, you know, what is Alzheimer's and, and how is it caused? That's always a general question everybody wants to know about. Well, Alzheimer's is a degenerative disease, and uh, we've recognized that it's uh, pathologically, there have been two key characteristics that were uh, identified, namely uh, what are called the t- Tau were uh, the uh, <coughs> tangles, and then mm-hmm. the uh, the uh, uh, plaques. And for the last 25 or 30 years, the focus on research and on therapeutics has been on the uh, um, plaques. And uh, now, though, we've conducted uh, some large clinical trials in the last few years, which unfortunately uh, uh, were disappointing in that while we were able to eliminate the plaques, patients didn't get better. So now there's a shift to think that perhaps the plaques are more of a response of the brain, perhaps even a healing response in part, although there's still some evidence that parts of it could be degenerative to the brain. But now we're focusing on the other side, the tangles. And a number of years ago, we found out that the tangles were caused by problems uh, with uh, metabolism, namely what's called the tau protein, which is involved in uh, helping transport uh, nutrients and particles along the pathway of the uh, uh, of the neuron down, you know, to, from the cell body out to the uh, periphery. Uh, this is something very special in nerves because nerves are extremely long cells. And in the you know case, for instance, of a motor nerve, you may have a cell that is perhaps two, even three feet long. So this is an extraordinarily, you know, uh, difficult thing to maintain metabolism, and the uh, tau is involved critically in helping the nutrients flow down uh, from the cell body, the processing, into uh, to, to the end of the nerves. 
But we're seeing now that there can be problems in tau, and we've now found some uh, uh, drugs that tentatively could help stabilize what the degeneration of tau, and we hope will preserve nervous function. So the uh, we don't really know what triggers it in a small number of patients. It's there's hereditary problems, but for the majority of people, we really still don't know what causes Alzheimer's disease. Yeah, and that I know that that frustrates many, and probably you researchers even more. <laughs> so, well, that's certainly uh, trying to find out what it is. Is there something in the environment? Is there other hereditary factors we haven't recognized? Uh, so it, it is certainly still the billion-dollar question, and it's gone unanswered, not for lack of trying. <laughs> yeah, we were just talking earlier that, um, you know, 60 Minutes had done a study following uh, people in a continuum care, and some people that were diagnosed with dementia when they autopsied their brain had no plaques and tangles, and then others um, that had absolutely no signs of, of dementia or you know, weren't diagnosed um, had plaques and tangles, and and so um, you know I've heard well, that that's yeah. kind of thrown things for a loop too. Well, especially the emphasis is more on the uh, plaques, and you mm-hmm. know that that doesn't correspond very well. Tangles is a much better correspondence between the pathology, and, you know, who has it and who uh, has pathology. But there are other factors that intervene, uh, namely intelligence that if the higher intelligence you are the more you can compensate at least early on you have what's called your cognitive reserve although interestingly then when people do exhaust it their decline usually is steeper so you you know if you have you know more native intelligence to start with then and uh, then you may have a greater capacity to handle the early insults but later on it does catch up with us okay so what what would you recommend is the best way for people to get a diagnosis? Who sh- who should they go see? That's always the, you know, when I go speak, you know, can I go to my GP or do I need a neurologist or is there a specialist within neurology or a gerontologist? So what what would you recommend? I would recommend that they, uh, for the most part, need to see a neurologist. There aren't that many primary physicians who have enough of an interest in specialization. A gerontologist may be able to, but they're still few and far between. So if you happen to live in a community where one's available, a gerontologist certainly would be a a good alternative. Uh, There are more neurologists, and so uh, that's where you should probably start because, all, dementia is a syndrome of which Alzheimer's at the present time is the most common cause in the United States, but there are a variety of other causes, and they have to be uh, identified and singled out because Alzheimer's is still a diagnosis of exclusion, so we need to start by ruling out other conditions. Probably the most, one of the more important is something called normal pressure hydrocephalus. About 5% of people with dementia have it, and it is curable by a relatively minor surgery. So we certainly want to make sure that's picked up and identified. And all too tragically, I see patients too far in the disease course to benefit from the surgery because it was someone didn't do the workup. It was just, oh, you have dementia, and that's as far as it went. And so that's a tragedy when that occurs. The second thing is vitamin B12 deficiencies, turning out to be very common and getting more common in part because of 
some of the other drugs we use, uh, namely drugs to help prevent acid formation in our stomachs, interfere with our abilities to absorb B12. And so a few percent of people with dementia have truly a vitamin deficiency, which if recognized you know, early on, you know, could be uh, eradicated. Unfortunately, with B12, generally that uh, it, when you give it, it, you don't restore, but you preserve, prevent more damage from occurring. And then mm-hmm. there's some other things such as subdural hematomas, fluid on the brain, sometimes a benign tumor, sometimes strokes uh, can uh, look the same way, and you certainly want to treat that differently, namely get at the root causes. So there's uh, probably a dozen things that need to be looked at and ruled out, and it's important that in every single case assumptions not be made, and in fact someone go through the diagnostic workup to uh, not miss a a curative uh, procedure or medication, Every time that happens, that's truly a tragedy. Mm-hmm. I I agree. Can you tell us a little bit more about the research opportunities that you're conducting um, regarding uh, Alzheimer's and dementia? Sure. I'm involved in a trial now which is looking at an agent to help uh, prevent the formation of tangles. Uh, TauRx is the name of the company, and this is a drug that is a derivative of an old common compound, methylene blue. And it turns out that these compounds, a variety of compounds were screened, and it turns out this had some of the greatest activity about preventing the tangle formation. The original research was done in Scotland, and uh, then this led to the formation of a company, which is based in Singapore. And, but the, world, the study itself is now a phase three study, and it's going on worldwide. Uh, in about 25 countries uh, and in multiple sites in the United States. And, in fact, there's trials for both people with mild disease like I'm doing and moderate disease as well. So it's an opportunity for a fair number of people to participate. Uh, uh, different sites have different are looking for different populations of patients. But it's a phase three study, which means, you know, a certain percentage of patients are getting placebo and others are getting active drug for about 13 months, and then at that point, everybody gets the active agent in uh, what's called the open-label part of the study, and then at the end of it, when all the last patient's data has been collected, statisticians will sit down and will figure out, have we made a difference on people's general performance, which is measured by certain uh, measures uh, they f- patients fill out as well as their caregivers fill out. This is a study that involves a caregiver as well as a patient because we want to get an impact, not just how many tangles you know go away, or uh, but rather what's the impact on daily life and daily life among the people who work with the patients most closely. So there's measures both of the patient as well as of the caregiver, which reflects the family and uh, and to try and get a real picture as to, you know, not just numbers, but how much impact we're having on people's lives. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's that's good. How how would people participate in that that uh, trial? Um, uh, they would they would mm-hmm. contact. Um, um, uh, there's this sites on the internet uh, for the trial. Let's look for TauRx. T a u r x. And then from there, they could uh, would be directed to uh, a local, uh, the closest site to where they happen mm-hmm. to be. 
And okay. that's probably the best way to do it. Okay, good. For and those I, living I also... in, Los, in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm doing the mild. USC is doing the moderate uh, groups. Okay. And I have a, a phone number here, too, of 626-356-0800 and ask for research nurse Donna Sider, uh, it looks like. Yes, um, that she is can help for the... Yes, I'm sorry, sorry to cut you off. That's yeah. for my site, and we'll, mm-hmm. if, uh, if someone's calling from other places, we'll certainly direct them, you know, give them another number and direct them to other sites that would be closer. But that okay. would be a good starting point for them to get in. Okay, and then also, um, can you talk a little bit about the benefits of, you know, why should people get involved in in a trial? Uh, you know, I know a lot of people are nervous about that. So, you know, what's the benefits to them to, to well, jump into the loop? Uh, it, I'd actually say that it's important to find out what kind of person you are before if you're a candidate or not for jumping in because whenever I give talks, I also have people hold up their hands to say, gee, do you like to go to Vegas or not go to Vegas? And about the room splits. And I say, you're both right. So you mm-hmm. don't want to go to Vegas if you're uh, not if you're not willing to take a certain you know, risk in gambling, and there is that with research because we're offering something unknown. On the other hand, this is an opportunity to you know be able to get access to something you know years before it would be otherwise available that potentially could be you know life changing and uh, for yourself. And then there's the larger aspect, you know, you have uh, something which could truly help other people, you know, regardless how it turns out, to know if this is something which is a viable therapy or isn't. And, for instance, for the last thing, we would have, you know, big companies spent lots of money that this other approach of working on amyloid would have worked. And now we realize, no, that was the wrong approach. So we've now had to redirect ourselves, and it was only because of volunteers that we actually were able to find out what really is important in this disease. So it's an opportunity then to truly help others and uh, by the knowledge that will be generated on the basis of the outcomes because these studies are being put together by, you know, some of the finest minds, you know, working on these problems. And this is a chance then to find out, you know, as humans, how (laughs) are we on the right track? The only way Mm -hmm. we'll find out. Yep, yeah, that is very very true and I think uh, I think we have to keep that in mind that you know we're not going to find a cure if people don't step up to the plate and help either. Um That's exactly so, right, but again, if there are people who have trepidation and are naturally more cautious, I would say then don't do it. I mean, because you know, that's important too. Research does entail a lot of time on the part of, you know, the patients and their families. And this is a commitment, and people do have to feel comfortable with the whole process because it's very important once we get started, we hopefully see it through. Otherwise, we won't, you know, get the data. So I really allow us, as when I myself, want to recruit people who have a, that inclination of, you know, wanting to get what's newest and are willing, you know, to feel that it's a good thing to contribute to knowledge in general and therefore are willing to put up with all the steps of research because it's sort of like the army hurry up and wait because there's lots of time when you have to sit there and unfortunately and entertain yourself because uh it just takes time to do all the steps that to collect all the data properly and most of the the data collection is regarding safety issues so we really have to get all the data we want to make sure whatever therapy we come up with we 
understand safety and side effects uh, uh, as, as, as well as possible so that patients get a really balanced view in the end, not only does the drug work or not, but what are the potential side effects. And mm-hmm. so we have to be meticulous in our collection of that so that uh, we're not introducing something, you know, that has risks that we, you know, could have picked up and, and protected people from early on. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, I appreciate you um, spending some time with us today. I did find uh, the additional information for the overall um, website. You can go to alzheimerstudies.com to find the, the Tau trial there. They also have a Facebook page, again, called Alzheimer's uh, Team, and you can email them at info at alzheimerstudies.com. I'm also going to go ahead and put this into the chat box, all of this information, so that it is there. If anyone has any any questions at all, you'll be able to get the phone number as well um, for them. And uh, I'll just say that the general phone number is uh, 855-786-7259. Again, that's... Uh, Eight six. Uh, I'm sorry. Eight five five eight six. Uh, I'm doing good. Eight five five seven eight six seven two five nine. I guess I'm having a little dyslexia today. <laughs> so. Not enough coffee after the weekend. <laughs> I haven't had I any yet say, this morning. <laughs> thank you very much for having me on. And please keep the dialogue going. It's so important that people get information about this condition and an opportunity to find out about its various aspects, about the total person, listening to your last uh, person on. And I think you do want to keep the whole person in mind, and I think this is so constructive what you're doing. So please keep up the good work. Okay. Well, thank you. You have a wonderful day, and I appreciate you joining us today. Um, again, we just uh, were talking with Dr. Shubin uh, regarding the third uh, clinical trial on Tau, and it's called LMTX, and you can find out more information by going to the um, Alzheimer's Studies, uh, just go to alzheimerstudies.com uh, or the Alzheimer's Team on Facebook, because so many uh, like to go to Facebook as well. I'm going to go ahead and pull Jane Sweeney back in, and Jane is the author of Caregiver, My Love Story, Facing Dementia. And um, we were having just a great conversation earlier, and I wanted to continue that that with you. So thanks for hanging in there with us, Jane. I, I very much appreciate uh, you uh, being able to take more time with us today. Um, there were a couple of other things that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, one was just your regarding the book itself, you've got some very specific um, chapter headings in here, and I always find it fascinating how people choose to lay out their book and come up with uh, with their titles and things. So if you could uh, talk to that, that would be wonderful. Oh, thank you. I'm delighted uh, to be on your show. I really appreciate your graciousness, and I really uh, think that the, your previous guest from Los Angeles helped helped a lot of people in pointing them in the right direction for the research that is being done. Because there are many millions of dollars being spent 
on Alzheimer's research, and we really do need the clinical trials. And I would encourage all of your listeners to look into their local or the university and research centers so that they can become part of the trials. Um, about my chapter headings, um, I did a lot of research on how to write and what to write. And I had always wanted to write because I felt that in my family there were some family stories and genealogies about people who had um, loved learning. So I started with an outline, and then I tossed it out, and I tried to do another outline, and I tossed that out too. And then I said what I really wanted to learn was to have fun writing. And I, I got Stephen King's marvelous book on writing through Barnes & Noble, and he helped me so much. He said, when you write, you start the idea and let the reader finish with all the details. And so I wrote my chapter titles to make it moving and feeling and fun. Like the diagnosis, believing, hoping, trusting. I wanted to win at caregiving like an athlete that wants to win at a game. This is no game, but I had a choice that I wanted to win at how to caregive. And that's the critical thing, your mindset. I thought it was really important to talk about the stress and pressures in caregiving. I thought it was incredibly important to focus on sex and dementia and the sensitivity and sensuality that is so much a part of our human nature. I must digress a minute and tell you that a lot of men, many men, are reading my book because of the way it's written which is a tremendous compliment. I wanted people to have hope. So one of the chapters is titled, A Beautiful Approach to Caregiving, New Learning, New Ways. I did not like the word respite, but that's been in the medical industry for a long, long time. So I rewrote it. <laughs> and I, re I rewrote it because respite, did not tell me anything. It did not encourage me. And now <clears throat> I want to put in reading and writing and arithmetic, which in dementia means you rest and you mm -hmm. reassess and you return refreshed. <laughs> uh -huh. And also <clears throat> one of the chapter settings is a caregiver's wish list things that could be changed, like emergency room care of dementia patients. And that's where the Purple Angel program is so phenomenal. And Gary Joseph LeBlanc has done so much to educate and to put a training program in for hospital staff and the emergency room staff that will cut down on the amount of medications the numbers of involuntary commitment. And we're also working with the sheriff department here in Florida where if the, the, the sheriff and the deputies and policemen know how to handle dementia patients, they're working very hard on this.
besides CARFIT, which is a major program to for caregivers and dementia patients to learn their awareness of the road conditions and how their car may no longer be adequately uh, uh, for adequate for the road in the highways. And these are all programs that we're trying to help people. I can't get in, in depth into the whole question of driving, which I've addressed in my book repeatedly. But driving with dementia is like a powder keg waiting to go off. It's horrific. Mm-hmm. And every caregiver needs to go there. Lori, before... I let you go and you let me go. I wanted mm-hmm. to mention something that I find so wonderful. There is a great deal a caregiver can do to have hope. And I've listed a guide for caregiver, behavioral interventions, such things as never correcting the person with dementia. And what you do is you don't escalate a situation by challenging what was said or what's being done. You can distract and redirect the patient. A lot of times you validate what the patient has done or what they say. You don't try to get them to reason, which is very difficult for caregivers because that's the way we're taught as human beings to use a cognitive approach, the rational approach. But in dementia, that's being destroyed, and the patient would feel challenged and and maybe buck you as a caregiver and resist. And that's where a lot of violence or thrashing by the person with dementia comes in, when they feel confronted or they feel challenged or negative behavior comes in. And there's much that can be done on the part of a caregiver. Um, even questioning, you can suggest two or three things rather than ten things. Or you could put out two changes of clothing rather than five. And rather than saying, go get dressed, you could have something like a, a shirt already available or offer them a choice in color. There are many things that can be smooth, smoothly uh, done each day with a caregiver. Now, I want to say that it's really important for caregivers to take a break, whether that's a walk and exercise or whether it's making a phone call. Sometimes that has to be out of the earshot of the person because uh, they may pick up on a couple of words and then get furious. So be careful in where you make your phone calls. The other thing is um, the Dubin Center here in Fort Myers, Alvin A. Dubin, D-U-B-I-N, has for 19 years offered free care groups information and and, uh, uh, instruction on all types of caregiving. And they have an Alzheimer's disease home safety sheet. It's such a simple thing as getting rid of the sharp corners or not having the pills available in your purse or in the medicine chest for the dementia patient to have access to. And in my book, I go extensively into how important it is for the caregiver to administer the medications 
and not leave it up to a judgment for the patient because they're unable to recall what they had and how many that they have. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> oh, no, that's that's great. You know, I just as you're talking, I'm kind of just flipping through your book here, and there's just so much great information in here. Um, you know, you talk about um, the stress and the pressure of of caregiving and, and how our brain works that we learn through our five senses. And um, and we forget that. You know, we really forget um, how we learn and how others learn. And people with dementia, it's the same thing. They still have those those senses and the, the stories and the poems, um, you know, that you have in here. And the pictures are just, um, you can just see the love. It just, like, jumps out of the book. Um, that, you know, that Bernie was well-loved and well-respected um, through the disease process and, you know, um, by his family and friends, which is really, really neat. And so many nice little short stories, you know. Um, again, this is a book you you don't have to sit down and read all at once if you don't want to. You've broken it up very nicely, but it's something that someone could easily do as well. Um, and it's, uh, it just, it's, you, I just thank you for, for all of your work, um, you know, with this. It's, it's, it's been amazing. Um, and I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm thrilled that you've got a sponsor out there who's going to help push this. And I know you've got a couple other books that you're interested in writing too. What are, what are those? Yes, I want to write a second book, Caregiver. Grief, guilt, and gratitude. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, it's going to be, um, perhaps more catharsic for me because I believe that I grieved for so long, and I believe that with Bernie's passing, my experiences through the grief process relied on not only a lot of good reading, but talking with people that help mitigate the pain and suffering. And in gratitude, I began to see what a beautiful life I had had. And I want people to know that it's in thanking God that we we somehow are able to give to others. And that light brings joy and peace and humility. And we don't hear the word humility much today. But I no. believe I believe that it is in being humble that we come we come to great joy. And it makes us uh, smile when we're humble. You know, we don't have to know everything. We can cut some slack for ourselves. You know, gone are the days when we need to be perfect because there's no such thing as a perfect human being. And somebody has a yardstick out there and they're measuring your behavior and they're measuring you as a human being. And we're also imperfect. And when you begin to realize diseases take parts of a person piece by piece, we don't have to be perfect. Okay. And Bernie Bernie said to me one day, he said, none of us get through this life without something. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And there's so much joy and so much happiness. But I want to come to the subject of laughter. It's hard to laugh when you have burdens, whether it be job loss or a sick child. But there are times in our life that we need to cultivate laughter. And Bernie would read two comic strips to me every morning. Even way into dementia, when he could take the newspaper and say, oh, it's July 23rd, it's Thursday. And he call, I call that his cheat sheet. For years, he used that to anchor himself because he was such a numbers person. He was a brilliant accountant. And I would say, oh, that means tomorrow is Friday, so we get to go to dinner. And he loved it. It validated what he was doing. And he always read a couple of of, uh, comics just to get a good day start, a good laugh. And that's so important, whether it's the older movies that we love or whether it's uh, Kate's that we love to play. It's how to build in humor into your day and how to laugh. No matter how serious the situation is, it's by building in humor that we really mitigate our anxiety. I find it the the best tonic for being worried. Yes. Well, you know, they always say, you know, laughter is the best medicine. And it really, it really is. And, you know, we so often think that we can't laugh with serious illness yet it's the it's the one thing that generates all language everyone can relate to appreciate <laughs> and you know and it changes our chemistry and we don't use it to our advantage and you know again I've said this a million times on the air and when I speak but I just think this disease teaches us to play again and not take life so seriously. Um, Getting back to the basics that, you know, and getting out of our box of right way, wrong way, you know, and learning to be more tolerant and accepting, you know, of of different ways of being Um, and just really focusing on, you know, like you said, being humble, focusing on making someone feel safe and comfortable and happy. Why did we get why did we get away from that? I mean, it makes no sense. You know, when you think of it, it's so it's so simple. It makes life so much easier and you know, you look at society, we've gotten so far away from such a simple a simple thing to do and a simple way of living and being. I I love the way you place that. You you have said exactly what I think this disease is doing to mankind. It's making us refocus on what's important now, what's mm-hmm. important each day. And in a way, it takes the burden of all the responsibilities that we don't need and downsizing what we have physically Many people in the latter part of their life realize they don't need two homes. They don't need three homes. What they really need is peace that comes with fewer material things. And as my emblems, you can't take any of it with you. (laughs) One Mm -hmm. of Bernie's favorite stories was he never saw a Brinks truck following a hearst. (laughs) (laughs) 
it's so simple. Give away your china. Give away your extra clothes. I had a wonderful young man who is from the Philippines tell me that they sent 23 boxes of everything they could get from the neighbors to the Philippines after the the recent tsunami a few months mm-hmm. ago. He said, we went through our neighborhood and we said, if you haven't worn it in a year, please donate it. Mm-hmm. And this is what people, this disease is is actually, I, I think I feel very strongly, this disease is helping us focus on each other mm-hmm. and helping us focus on being a community again. And helping us realize that there are many people who are sick. There are many people fighting cancer and brain tumors. There are many people fighting serious illness with children and spouses. And we happen to have dementia in the family so that we need to focus on what can this do to make us better human beings with compassion. It's not... Many people want it cured. Many people want the doctors to say, okay, here's the paintbrush, go out and paint the fence. It's not going to happen that way. Mm-hmm. Many of us feel that this dementia is a way to make us more human and more loving. And I think if the caregiver can take a couple of deep breaths try very hard to reach deep for courage. Try very hard to say, what, Lord, do you want me to take from this? What do you want me to give to you and to my fellow man? It's remarkable how little we need to have peace, humility, hope, and joy. Very important, Lord, the work you're doing. And I love the fact that this, your mother's illness changed your life because of what you have been able to do for so many, Laurie. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. We're in this together, you know. It's, uh, and again, that's what Alzheimer's Speaks is all about, is raising everyone's voice because none of us can do this alone. I don't care. Not one big organization, not one individual. It, it takes It takes a village. You know, it it takes uh, and it takes a global village. Um, the information and the knowledge that is out there that you can, you know, you don't have to rely on your neighbor next door anymore. Um, you know, to to be touched and to share information and to to um, get educated. There's there's a lot of different ways um, to be supported and to and, and please don't forget to support others. You know, don't just take. <laughs> you know, because you know a lot. You know a lot more than you think you do. Um, and I see that over and over again at uh, at our memory cafes. People think they don't know any information, and and they're surprised at how much they can contribute into a conversation. And um, it's just a, it's great, and how much they can help one another because. You know, most of us have been dealing with this a long time before we kind of let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> and so you've got more history there than you think you do. Um, well, well, that's right. And and sometimes when a person shares their fears 
and what they began to see in their loved one early on is exactly what someone needs to hear. Yep. Yep. And I I've had uh, five people in the last month say to, to me, "When did you first realize?" Because many people are worried. Many people hear the information on dementia, and by the time they hear it over and over from major organizations and major programs, like you mentioned, sixty minutes, mm-hmm. you know this this begins to have a strong effect as they increase their aging, and they they don't know where to turn or whether they have a problem that they need to address. And when people get into groups, they may say. Like this one woman said, oh, my husband is fine. He's doing just great with his medicine, and I can trust him. And this, Well, one day she came, and she said he'd taken four OxyContin and off to the hospital by emergency because she trusted him in an area mm-hmm. that she, couldn't, she, she shouldn't have been able to trust him because he couldn't possibly count the number of pills in relation to what he should take. For what? Uh huh. She taught all of us a lesson that we needed to jump right in and make sure that the medicines were not available to the person. They can't use their judgment. It's not possible. Mm-hmm. And and Lori, I just think your choice of words and what I have heard today are so uplifting. They're positive. It makes caregivers realize that they have a huge safety net. They don't have to go alone. They need other people. And the important thing is the sooner they can make a phone call or the sooner they can get help, which comes in many different ways, the better they will be. And I just have to say that care groups, whether it be for um, Al-Anon or for AA, which it, they're so important to share your stories. One one day, a lady said she used to trust her husband, but she would throw the multibreakers in her house because her husband couldn't put the stove on. So she was able to keep him at home a while longer. Well, one day she came in, and he had taken the toaster oven from the kitchen because it wouldn't work, he put it on the living room carpeting and toasted his breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to, sometimes you get lucky. And she, uh, she said that was the last time she left him alone. <laughs> yep. But, you know, what a what a fun story. And it's not laughing at him. It's, you know, it's laughing at the situation and how, you know, he, he was still able to engineer getting it done well if it's not going to work here i'm going to try something else you know and um you know those are uh, those are very precious precious moments that i think are are wonderful for us to to all take toll to and um and again put a smile on your face you know what's wrong with that what's wrong with putting a smile on your face and uh, we we forget about that. It just it just dumbfounds me. But I, you know we and I and I did the same thing. I think we just take it so seriously that we we forget to just 
see and really um, enjoy our relationships. You know, so often we we lose people lose their relationships to this disease, and and we can't let that happen. We don't need to let that happen. And yep. um, recently, a husband who's been caring for his wife for uh, fifteen years said that when he was dressing her. Uh, that not only did, would she take his hand and kiss it, but she would kiss the top of his head. Mm-hmm. How beautiful. Their love is still alive. And he's been a full-time caregiver for about six years now. And mm-hmm. then another husband another husband was trying to help his wife and said, now, come on, honey, I'm going to put you to bed. Come on in the room with me. And she looked at him and she stiff-armed him and she said, Oh, I'm not that kind of a woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they've and, been married for fifty-four years. Yeah, so there's and that many things, and that can that can be tough for people. You know, the first time, the first few times it happens, like how can they not know me? Um, but then, if you look at it, that how much they do, you know, love and respect your relationship, you know, that they're seeing you as a different person and they want to honor that, that's pretty dang cool, you know. Um, <laughs> I, I want so. to say that a lot of states, uh, maybe uh, most of the states have Alzheimer's disease initiative programs that they have had in place for many years. And in Florida, uh, we have the ADI, which has subcommittees, that meet quarterly, and they mm-hmm. not only review what's being done to help the people in the state, but to be forward-looking to make certain that they do the best they can with the driving issue and with car fit and with um, the silver alert. Many people still do not know about the silver alert that was started in Oklahoma in 2008. This is so critical when when a person has has uh, taken the car and, in effect, is not contactable or doesn't show up at a place and they end up three Mm -hmm. states away in an accident. People should make, people would benefit greatly by knowing all about Silver Alert. And if the state does not have it, they could initiate that with the legislature to make sure that that gets in place. Also, I want to mention how important it is to have the ID bracelet or the uh, dog tags, which I found were more helpful for Bernie because he would never wear a bracelet. Did, did you want to say something about that, Laurie, and your experience with that? Well, I, I just think it's so important for um, not only the patient to wear some form of ID um, and contact information, but for the care partner. You know, it's a two-way street, and if something happens to you and you don't happen to be home or with that person, or even if you are, they could wander off, um, you know, someone needs to know that that they need to be um, looked after as well. And, you know, there's all different types of of ID bracelets out there. Um, I kind of like the... You know, I've been talking a lot with the um, EMS workers and fire and, and emergency and, and police, and one of the problems they say is that, you know, with HIPAA laws, they don't have information. So when they get called to a house, they don't always know if a person has dementia. But if you have an ID bracelet with one of those UBS um, sticks in it, 
um, they can find out that information. You can put in numbers to call. You know, you don't want to put in your social security number, but you could put in your medications. You could put in um, contact information onto who to call so that they could get more information verbally regarding the situation. You could put a little summary in. I'm not sure you should even put your address in there from a safety standpoint. I think the contact information for people is probably more valuable, and that's kind of what police and fire have been telling me as well. Um, but, you know, it's it's important. It's important that we do it and, and not be afraid. Um, not, you know, right now I think a lot of times we we have ID bracelets because someone's ill. And this is really a safety issue, and, and safety is about all of us. And, you know, Wonderful. if you're a team, and if you're a team, um, you have to look at both sides of the coin, you know, that situation. Yes. Uh, what what happens when a person has a way to be identified is that it's it's really an expression of love and caring on the part of the caregiver to anticipate that. And many family members want to know what they can do to help. You might delegate to them and ask them if they could do some research on that and find out and sometimes children want to give this as a gift. I found it yep. for Valentine's Day. It was a beautiful gift of, of uh, wanting to stay connected with Bernie. And I told him I never wanted to lose him. And I yep. always wanted to be with him. And this gave him an idea that it was something positive and beautiful and appealing. Now, uh, Laurie, I have to t- tell you that one of the greatest difficulties I had was caring for myself. Mm-hmm. You you ask me about the diagnosis, and you ask me about the quality of patients. I think it was very difficult for me to care for myself initially. And one nurse told me one day when I when I told her how I did not want to take over paying the bills, and I did not want to take over reconciling the bank book because Bernie was always so capable and he loved to do it for 30 years. Well, she said to me, if the roles were reversed, would he do it for you? And then Mm -hmm. I realized that, that I was asking, I was being asked to love him by doing for him what he couldn't do. Yep. And I had to, it was it was such a challenge for me because everything I did, he would feel insulted if I did it directly. So I had to finesse keeping his executive ego and his worth, his value as a human being, and taking over the things that had to be done to ensure his safety and his health and his welfare and mine. That was very hard for me to do. Well, and, and I love to... the way you framed that too. You know, because we we all want to feel purposeful, and that doesn't change just because we get dementia. So, um, I thank you for sharing that. Harry's got a question. I want to pull him in real quick here because we only have about five minutes left. Um, Harry, are you there? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. How are you? you? Good, good. Hi. Do you have a question or a comment for Jane or? Well, uh, I just want to say hi to Jane, but 
one one thing uh, now I I speak to a lot of uh, uh, a lot of people that were just first diagnosed with this disease, and one of the things that I try to stress is there is life after diagnosis. Uh, just because you were diagnosed with some form of dementia doesn't mean your life is over. There is hope out there. You do have a life. You have to carry on. And and you try to carry on as far and as uh, as long as you can. You never give up. And so many, so many patients, uh, I don't want to call them patients, so many people that I know tell me, well, Harry, you must have, a mild form of dementia. Well, there is no such thing. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you, that's that's like that's like saying to somebody, you might be slightly pregnant. You either are, or you're not. And uh, <laughs> but what I do is I make the most out of what I have left, and that's the point that uh, that we 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 try to stress now that that. Um, Use what you have left and use to the best of your ability. You know, don't let your care partner overcarry you. Uh, you still have a life. You you can still do so many things. What and do them. Harry, I commend you on that attitude because you will not only have a broader, deeper life, you will have much greater joy in living um, I talked to a gerontologist recently, and he said that one of the things that he found so difficult with his patients is a woman that will walk into his office, or a man, who is only in their early 60s or 70s or 80s, and they say, I miss so much about my other life, and they're living in the past. Harry, you must have a fuller life. I bet if you look back when you first got your diagnosis, that your life has been in many ways richer. You know, Jane, it's, it's funny you say that because um, I often make the comment that that uh, when I was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, that saved my life. Ah. Now, why I say that? Why I say that is because um, I was forced to look inside myself. I was forced to find that inner peace, and you know I've done it, and my life is is so blessed, so richer now than than I could possibly have hoped for. Yeah, and Harry's doing Beautiful. some big things. He's making connections all over the world. With uh, if you're not fam- familiar with his Facebook group, Forget Me Not. Um, you know, he goes out and speaks to communities and is just really, really making a big difference. He'll be part of the the program next week when we talk about uh, the Dementia Mentors uh, with Gary LeBlanc and Richard Taylor and Norms McNamara. Uh, so, yeah, it's Harry's doing some big things. Well, I can't believe it's that time. We need to wrap up. Jane, what is the best way for people to get a hold of you? Thank you so much for calling in to Harry. Thank you, Harry. Uh, People can reach me on my website, which is caregiverdementia.org, or by writing me at Jane Sweeney, 8500 Legends Boulevard, Unit 202, Fort Myers, Florida, 33912. Or they can get my book 
on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or eBooks in the Nook. But most of One. all, I'll be. Pardon me. Oh, go ahead. Most of all, I'll be uh, speaking for at Oregon Courts, and I'll be attending the Catholic Marketing Network uh, in Chicago and the uh, Florida Council on Aging Convention. That's the Florida Council on Aging that will be in Miami in uh, August. And I'll be speaking, and in, in these engagements, et cetera, will be on the website. And I just want to say that a lot of people new to the diagnosis of dementia, we, we have to make sure that we spell dementia correctly. It's D-E-M-E-N-T-I-A, and we all wanted to put a D-I-M-E-N-T-I-A. So when, whenever, I don't know if you've had that happen, but many people say, how do you spell dementia? <laughs> yep, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Jane. Really appreciate it, and um, I look forward to, to speaking with you in the future. Um, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the show here because we only have about 30 seconds left. Again, um, please uh, check out Jane's website, caregiverdementia.org. And don't forget to uh, join us on the Dementia Chats webinar this afternoon. That will be posting to the blog and to our Facebook page here shortly. Until then, we'll see you next week when we will be talking about de the newly launching Dementia Mentors Program. Thank you all so much, and have a blessed week. Bye now. It's time to rethink. Renew and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody, Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather, the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire, become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.